Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast with Jamie Finch-Penninger and Neil Vanderplug of Avanti Isoway Sports. Um, unfortunately, we will not be joined by Kate Perry any longer on these discussions. Um, the technical issues which kept her off the last few podcasts um, will prevent her from continuing in the future. So unfortunately, yeah, we're going to have to look for a new member, new member of the team, which is unfortunate because Kate is as you would have heard, has given us some great insight into female racing and, you know, racing in general over the past um, few podcasts. So it'll be sad to see her go, but we'll find somebody um, hopefully is good. Neil. Yeah, I bet she's got a Mac, Jamie. I bet she's got a Mac. <laughs> it will be one of those stupid compatibility issues, no doubt. So. Yep, I can guarantee it. She's got an Apple Mac sort of thing and it's incompatible. Anyway, well, well, we'll strive to find somebody more compatible with us. And uh, I have been in talks already, so we shall continue those talks and see what we can get for, get for you listeners um, over the next few weeks. Uh, it's, been, it's been quite a, quite a busy schedule of racing the last few weeks. Uh, we haven't actually had any NRS events yet. They're still yet to come, at least for the men. We've had... And uh, with the women, it will be the Mersey Valley Tour coming up next on the 29th of April. And for the men, it's uh, Grafton Turin Varel on the 7th of May. Uh, Neil, do you know if you're suiting up for that one yet? Yeah, I believe so. If all goes to plan, I'm on the uh, the start list for the Grafton to Inverell, or at least the yeah the team sort of proposed uh, rider list. So yeah, I'll be heading down to do it for the poor. Oh, be my third time actually i saw third time I, I you can't probably can't really count last year i sort of i didn't even get to the top of the uh, gibraltar range so i'll be keen to sort of uh get a bit of an improvement on last year that's for sure yeah well i really enjoyed following that race it was uh yeah it was a good 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 time uh, following in the car in the chase cars behind and just gradually working out who was getting dropped off and what was happening with the tactics because your boys had a really good day that day yeah, look, I uh, unfortunately I was out so early. I got a very similar similar experience to you, Jamie. It was uh, it was an interesting one. There was a lot of um, there was kind of two races going on. There were the the team battle because it was the final race of the season last year. Uh, it was really close between Charter Mason and ourselves. And yeah, there was that was sort of like the first race that sort of was taking place. Well, I guess simultaneously to the actual event and. That sort of finished uh, about an hour after the top of the Gibraltar uh, when Charter Mason sort of conceded and just all jumped in the car, which was quite a uh, quite a remarkable sort of thing to have happen. You don't see that every day. They fully just come, they just waved the white flag and literally stopped. So, yeah, that was an interesting one. Like it was, it really went down on that Gibraltar range, the two chase groups, Avanti in the front and then Charter Mason behind. And I think after a while, they just realised they probably weren't going to get it done and just jumped in the car. And then from then on, it was the race sort of carried on for uh, the actual win. Despite, yeah, we're not here to talk about Grafton Varel, unfortunately, which is you know, a great <laughs> race. We'll, we'll, get to that. we'll get to that next time, maybe, because um, there's a lot more to say about what happened that, that last year. And um, Oh, yeah. Nah, and so, sorry, I jumped and, the gun there. Yeah, certainly for the next edition, but uh, yeah, certainly put it on your calendars and uh, we'll, we'll be there in force. So uh, keep that one in mind. Um, wait for the next podcast. All sorts of stuff going down there. 
Okay. Um, so what has been happening in the meantime? There's been plenty of VRS races on. There was uh, we did we did uh, we covered East Skipsland in the last podcast with Tim Guy, who will be jumping into to talk to us a bit later but uh since then there's been the mansfield tour and then most recently there was mount borbor down in the vrs uh neil you raced uh, both of them didn't you not mansfield unfortunately couldn't get down to that one uh but i did just come back from borbor this weekend yeah sorry um were you was that oh well we'll cover we'll cover your overseas stuff as well i suppose in uh tour de taiwan was that where you were at the time uh, we we just sort of got back from Taiwan, and I just sort of had a, a, a rest for that one uh, at Mansfield. Um, yeah, so I think I could have done it technically, but uh, yeah, yeah, just sat it out. Okay, well let's let's talk about uh, Borbor then. Uh, the most recent most recent event. Uh, yeah, well I think it's 103 k's, and then it finishes on Mount Borbor there, which is reputed as probably one of the hardest climbs in Australia. Would you? Would you say that's fair assessment there? I can't uh, can't claim to have done all the climbs in Australia, but man, it is tough. It's certainly um, the hardest one I've done in Victoria for sure. Like it's it's got such uh, such a steep gradient for such a long time. Like it's it's six k of brutally steep terrain, so it's it's really hard. Yeah, it's um, described as very much a climb of two parts. You've got the first part, which is between like four and five percent, and then it ramps up to what. 11% I think average over the next Yeah, see part. when most people talk about it they don't even they don't even mention that first part of the climb but yeah it actually climbs for quite a while before it really kicks up and that that's a fairly shallow gradient that start bit of it but it does take a bit of sting out of the legs and then that last 6 kilometers it's around 12% so yeah really steep you do not cover those 6 kilometers very fast at all well especially not at the end of a of a hardly of a hard fought race as well, and uh, it was the it was the early brick who actually took away the title there, escaping in the early kilometres. Um, I think you Avanti boys must have been pretty happy having Sam Crome and Mark O'Brien in that move, but didn't quite pay off with Reese Gillette taking out the win. Or Gillette, sorry, yeah, Reece Gillette. Yeah, Reese uh, Reese did quite well. He's uh, showed a fair bit of form in the uh, the Mansfield tour uh, a few weeks earlier, so we knew he was going to be the one to watch and. Yeah, we, we thought we had a pretty good situation with uh, Mark O'Brien and Sam Crome, but unfortunately he was um, a bit too fast on the climb. I think we probably probably didn't uh, probably didn't do enough between those guys to maybe soften him up before the climb. But look, I wasn't in the breaks. So I don't know how how it was going down, but look, Reese Gillett, he's definitely on form at the moment. So uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a big surprise that he took that one out. Yeah, well, I was surprised when I heard that he was allowed to go into that um, early move because, you know, despite you guys having the numbers, I would have thought you'd have, you know, you'd have had him as a marked man. But anyway, I suppose, I suppose the tactics don't always play out as you would necessarily hope, hope they would at the start of a race. No, look, I, I think, um, I think, yeah, ideally, Sam and Marco probably, um, they probably worked a little bit too much with someone like that. Because um, he did have a lot of form, so I think, um, yeah, in hindsight, I think they both probably would have thought that, uh, yeah, maybe when he got there, they probably shouldn't have worked with him at all. Because uh, yeah, he was the informed rider. It's a bit like if you have someone like you know, Cadell Evans. You saw him get in the break in the Tour de France a few years ago, and and people just didn't want to have a bar, but they didn't want to work with him. We probably should 
should have taken that approach. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit mean to say, isn't it? But there's there's some riders who, you know, you just can't give an inch, otherwise they'll take a mile, as the old expression goes. So, yeah, yeah super impressive performance there. And the rest of the field just um, came in dribs and drabs in ones and twos. Um, Sam finished up second for you guys, and uh, I think Mark O'Brien was in fourth, wasn't he? So, you know, not yep. bad. So, Sam, yeah, Sam Crome, had a, he had a really good climb. He was not too far behind, Ray, so that was... That was really good from him, and uh, yeah, Marco held on for fourth. I think he had a few issues out there. Uh, um, he may have had a seat post slipping or something like that, but uh, yeah, second and fourth, certainly not terrible. Yeah, and really, um, I think it shows the how hard the climb was with the race just coming in, in dribs and drabs after that. I mean, it would be like a minute to the next person, then another minute, and then, you know, maybe two people coming in a minute after that. And it just kept on going down all the way down the results sheet. So you can, you can tell it's really not a, not a climb for the faint hearted. Nah, well, it just, yeah, the heart of the sort of climb like that, you know, it just blows right apart and particularly the way it was written from the main field. So Jesse Feetonby from uh, who I sort of train a bit with down here in Albury, Wodonga, he was uh, the first in from the main field and he basically launched at the bottom of the uh, the climb where it went a bit steeper. He literally just, he, well, I assume he must have been sprinting because the pace that he went up that first sort of kilometre was just insane. And uh, so what happened was a lot of people sort of tried to go with the tried to go with him and tried to go with the pace and then people just kind of yeah heaps of people blew to pieces and because it's so steep if you don't have the gearing as well it just really uh really bites later so uh, i actually uh, was lucky enough to have a 34 on the front and a 32 on the back which is you know insanely easy gears and i was able to just i picked up probably like eight eight guys or something in the last sort of uh you know back half of the climb so yeah, it's brutal. Absolutely brutal. When the legs fall off on that climb, they fall off. I think that's the sensible gearing from the sound of things then. I mean, if you're not going to push for the win, <laughs> you, get, yeah, you get up there as, as in shape as you can. Yep, that's right. You need the gears for that one. If you're going to head and ride Borbor at any time, I'd recommend as easy a gear as you can possibly get. Okay, and uh, Jesse Feedenby, he's an interesting story. He's coming across from... Uh, triathlon, isn't it? Yeah, yep. He's um, so he's been doing triathlon for quite a few years in the the Olympic format. So the the sort of bunch racing type of try, not the not the longer distance stuff. So he's actually been quite good. Um, he definitely has won. He's won a fair bit at the sort of continental level in Asia. Uh, a few people have said, uh, you know, his nickname is sort of like the King of Asia. So he's done really well um, in some of these international level races, but never really has been able to crack into that sort of top. Um, I think they call it the uh, World Series or something like that in triathlon. He hasn't really been able to sort of crack into that absolutely top tier. So, um, and he's been he's been yeah sort of riddled with injuries from the run. So I think that's what sort of prompted the uh, the switch to the cycling. His dad is also actually a um, he was a cyclist, um, used to do heaps of uh, racing throughout Australia, Greg Feetonby. So, yeah, his dad, uh, he's very happy to see him sort of given the road a crack. He's, uh, yeah, he was up there at Borbor with him, very, uh, very proud. 
Yeah, and he did well at uh, Bright last year as well. I remember he was he was right up there with the front bunch. So yeah, definitely a name to keep an eye on. Now that he's is he is he fully over to road cycling yet? Have we converted? Have you converted him or not yet? Yep, no, he's fully he's fully converted. He uh, during the Ball Ball Classic, he was wearing the uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're calling themselves Swiss Wellness BMC BMC Swiss Wellness. I'm not 100 percent sure, but he's he's riding for those guys. So. He's, uh, yeah, he's pretty much uh, giving road a crack now and uh, full speed ahead. And, uh, in the women's there, it was uh, Justine Barrow from Coburg Cycling Club who won the women's with uh, Tessa Fabry and Brody Chapman in third there. From, and Tessa's from BIS and Brody's from Holden Women's Cycling. I don't know if Justine's racing with a team this year. Last year she was with Anchor Point Women's Park Trent, I think, is was their name. Anyway, but I'm not sure if she's racing for anyone this year. But she's she's an interesting story as well. Came into came into cycling as a mature mature age cyclist and has taken to it like a fish to water. So yeah, plenty of plenty of names to keep an eye out on there as we get into the NRS. And now we're joined by Tim Guy from Attacky Team Gusto, who thankfully uh, lives with Neil, so we can we can sub him in and out when when we want some specialist knowledge. And we we do require your specialist uh, specialist knowledge here, Tim. Uh, we're talking about Blaney to Bathurst, uh, which was raced on the weekend. Do you you know that area presumably pretty well? Yeah, I do know the area very well, and I know the race very well. I actually uh, know the race from back when it was the Orange to Bathurst. So before it became the Blaney to Bathurst, it used to be called the Orange to Bathurst back in the 90s, and it was actually quite a big race for a lot of the local athletes. So people like Mark Renshaw and Dean Windsor, they both had their first um, races at the non-club race level on the road uh, in the Orange to Bathurst when they were 13 years of age. So it used to be once you hit 13, you rode the Orange to Bathurst, and over the years, it's moved on to the Blaney to Bathurst and continued to get bigger and bigger. And you're an Orange local, aren't you? Yeah, I grew up in Orange. So back in the day when I actually started in Orange, it was always a little bit of an excitement. And as I said, at 13, I rode my first one as well. So I can still remember being on the start line there in Orange, ready to go. And unfortunately, Orange decided in the end that uh, they didn't want to uh, continue on with it. And the and Blaney took it over and ended up getting quite, quite big. Now Orange are trying to start their own <laughs> events back up. So they missed the boat on that one. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's a really well-run event from what I saw. Um, I know a number of people who went up and they all seem to have a very good time racing on, you know, closed roads and then finishing on that famous Mount Panorama circuit. Maybe not so famous for cycling, but uh, still iconic in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it certainly is an iconic place to finish. They've changed over the years. Um, when they first started doing the Blaney to Bathurst, they used to finish at the top of Mount Panorama. So you actually had to climb up the hill to finish it off. And uh, in the end, I think they decided that was just a little bit too brutal. The course has got a few climbs in it as it is. Uh, and so they've toned it down and they finish now uh, just at the base there. You come through pit straight even along that section. So they still use a little bit of the race course to get in that flair and a bit of the excitement. Uh, and yeah, it's a race that's just continued to grow. Rowan has got uh, not only just the Blaney to Bathurst on the Sunday, but also have now incorporated the New South Wales Hill Climb Championships and a Criterium on the Saturday. So sort of a weekend uh, a, a group of events. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a day out, well, a weekend out for Dylan Sunderland um, of State of Matter map, who took second in that Criterium, and then he went on to win the, to win the road race the next day. So 
a great yeah, a great series of results for him there. And he's, you know, a very good young talent, obviously. He was a bit sick, unfortunately, during nationals. So he couldn't really see his best. But, you know, he's he's very much a talent for the future. Um, you know the course. I mean, what, does it, what sort of rider does it take to, to win that race, Tim? Well, it's actually quite an interesting one that he that he's gone so well in both of them because the criterium itself is a very uh, it's quite a fast and technical criterium. There is one short, very sharp pinch uh, in the in the course which you've got to get up over each lap. Uh, so to go well in that and then in the blading of the Bathurst, the thing with the blading of the Bathurst is it's rather flowy for the first part with a few climbs, but approximately probably twenty kilometres from the finish, there's a four kilometre climb which is quite quite tough. It used to actually be dirt. Uh, in the recent years, maybe the last four years or so, it has been tarred. But uh, often you will only have a group of, uh, it can split to, to less than 10 uh, over the top. So for Dylan to go well in both of them, he's quite clearly got uh, a lot of good form uh, across the board. So you do need to be able to climb. If you're going to go well in the Blaney Bath itself, you've got to be able to climb pretty well to get over that climb. And, and you can guess he must have done reasonably well to see that uh, Ben Dibel there <laughs> was uh, second place and obviously a very, very good climber. So I think uh, all round it shows Dylan's uh, to, to go well in both of them. He's obviously got quite a bit of form. Great, great rider. And, and as you say, a really good climber and to go with him and finish that in a two up sprint shows um, the sort of form that uh, Dylan Sunderland's coming, coming into at the moment and definitely a name to watch out for in the NRS. I mean, he's already won a stage in Tour of Tassie, but he, his potential could be limitless. So keep an eye out from him from State of Matter Map. And uh, speaking of winners in the women's, um, it was Lucy Bechtel from Bike Bug Next Gen who took the win there. She's, I spoke to her briefly after the, I mean, well, I texted her and uh, she's really preparing hard for this season's NRS. Um, she was going to be on the podcast um, maybe tonight, but she's busy busy training because she's got full-time work and she just goes out and trains trains the house down apparently so she's she's really focused on um doing well in mersey valley and then going over to the states and racing over there so keep an eye out for lucy's name she's she's a top talent and a really good climber so she must have done similar to what you said because she won solo um over that um over the finish so she must have used that climb to get away there tim yeah, if she managed to use that climb to get away, there's quite a, a downhill stretch uh, after it. Uh, very fast running the finish. So to hold off the, the whoever was chasing down uh, is a is a very good ride indeed. Like, yeah, very impressive. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see the results there for the women. So unfortunately, I only see, only got the winners. So yeah, apologies if anyone's offended by me not mentioning the other podium getters there. Um, speaking of winners, though, we got um, your team, Attacky Team Gusto, had a big win um, over the weekend with Ben Hill taking out the Tour of Thailand. Yeah, it was a very, very big win in the Tour of Thailand. Ben Hill has been uh, training the house down on all accounts in the lead up to the Tour of Thailand, and he's the kind of rider that just doesn't let an opportunity pass. And in the Tour of Thailand, uh, he could have quite easily, he, he was sitting in a good position, sort of for a top 10, top five overall. and. Um, could have quite easily sort of just sat with that and tried to tried to get uh, just get across the line with with a great with a great finish as it was, but rather than doing that, he just uh, he took the race to himself and decided he wanted to get in a breakaway on the last day and just throw everything out trying to trying to get a win. And uh, in the end, himself and Cam Bailey got in a break of I think seventeen riders, and they both managed to just um, to get on the front and start to drive it. The gap went out to five minutes, came back to I think. 
two and then at the finish went back out to two and a half. So they just uh, rode their guts out. The yellow jersey of that day was um, was in the next bunch back. So Ben Hill managed to, to win the tour. So quite an exciting little um, time for us. Yeah, I saw some quotes after the race, um, basically thanking Cam Bailey for driving the break when he was in there and just especially up, um, I think there was the major climb of the day where Cam just went on the front and, you know, just gave it his all to try and get the time time up there. But great result for Ben. He's, he's one of the most dedicated guys in the sport. I've spoken to him a number of times and I'm always impressed by his drive and 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 just what he wants and just how clearly he wants to get everything that he can out of the sport. He's a... He's, he's a really interesting character, actually. I think a lot of people are slightly put off when they hear that he was that he did a doping ban for two years. But I think I think everyone who knows him um, believes that it was entirely accidental. And um, if you if you want to go fully more fully into the story, uh, there's a really good article by Sarah Van Bohemen, um up online. So go searching for that, and I think that you know spells out the the what happened there and also the motivation that Ben took out of out of that period of his life where he was he had to he was enforced to be off the bike and you know he's come out of that going as strong as ever uh Tim you've had some training with him I mean you've seen that motivation up close yeah I think the way you put that there is perfect it is um it's very incredible to to think about how much he's managed to come back from that sort of setback uh, and as you say, like there's a lot of people that might be a little bit suspicious of it, and I myself was before getting onto his team. But when you get the opportunity to talk to him and understand a bit more of the story, and then to see uh, how much like he was sidelined and just uh, really had to fight to get himself uh, back into the sport, he's shown an unbelievable amount of dedication. But you, he just he loves it. That's the thing that you really get out of watching him ride is that you go for a bit of a training ride and he's out of the saddle sort of looking back with a smile attacking at the start, you know, everyone's just riding out of town and he's coming through the corners fast and kicking out of them with this big grin on his face, looking back, just trying to fire everyone up. And he's a great character to have around. I actually just saw today, um, he's now in Slovenia. The team's over there preparing for some races and um, there's a picture of him dancing around in the hotel room and he was having a great time. So he's definitely someone that for the team is a great person to have on board. And um, his story is something that's good for the younger riders to hear and to see that uh, the dedication coming back into it. And um, yeah, he just, you can you can see the commitment. Like he just is happy to throw himself out there again and again in the races. It's just it does your head in to watch the guy and just think like he he throws himself into these breaks day after day, and you're like, how the hell do you put yourself into it? Knowing like you see him at the end, he's just baked. He can barely bloody walk. He just put everything into it, and the next day somehow he convinces himself. Uh, stuff it, I'll go again, and gets into the break. And so he's an incredible athlete to watch, a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be great to see uh, how much further he can go because he's certainly still got a bit more potential. Yeah, I think we saw that attitude at uh, the Herald Sun Tour where he just kept on going in the breakaway and kept on going in and then eventually ended up with the sprint jersey, um, not from the results at the end of the stage, but just from taking those intermediate sprints over and over again um, when he was out in there in the breakaway. I think he was, was he, he was out there in three of the five stages in the break, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And on the, on the last day, he was actually behind on the sprint points and Sky had the, um, had the green jersey and uh, he just, he just attacked that many times. And the first, like he was going with every move and for the first hour and a half, Sky was chasing it down like they wanted to have a clean sweep of everything from that race and 
And Ben, to his credit, he just kept going, kept going, kept going. Eventually, you could just see the Skyriders just, they sort of just went, ah, oh, stuff it. Like, this kid is just going too much. Like, just let him go. So he got away and managed to get away with a couple of rides and get those sprint points. So it just shows that dedication. Like, anyone else, including myself, would definitely have just been like, nah, this is not happening. Um, it's time to just sit in. But not Ben. He's like, oh, no, throw it again, throw it again. And, um, yeah. Full credit, came away with a, a jersey for himself and also a great result for the team. So, Yeah, I mean, um, how do you top that from now on? I mean, you've been knocked off the been knocked off the winners list now by, um, well, had, had your win at um, two, two of um, Philippines superseded, if you will, by um, <laughs> yeah. Ben. Yeah, nothing wrong with being superseded by Ben. I think uh, it's great for the team to have these results. Now there's a tour win as well. And uh, as the Attacky Gusto in its um, his current form, like this is sort of its first year uh, with Pete Shandon as the uh, as the owner there. And uh, it's it's all looking pretty positive. Like, to have a great year like this and the sponsors are, are really happy with how it's going and it looks like uh, things will be positive into the future. So uh, for me... Uh, on a personal note, as well as just as a team, like it's it's great to have Ben go well because it just builds the hype on the whole team and uh, continues to, yeah, just to look better for us. And when will we see you in racing next? Uh, I'm actually flying over to Europe on the 24th of this month. So we're going to do some racing in Slovenia and Italy. Uh, most of the team's over there now, but uh, one of our old teammates, uh, Angus Tobin, he's getting married on the 23rd. So I've got to, I'm going to the wedding there. And then, uh, and then flying off after that to do some of the races. So that should be really good. Get a few few one-day races uh, over there. So I don't really know what to expect. So it's just a bit of a going over there, uh, having an experience this first time and uh, looking to hopefully get some, maybe some more Europe racing this year or if not next year. So, uh, yeah, really positive. And your race director, he's Slovenian, isn't he? Yep, he's Slovenian, so that's how we've managed to get uh, some tee-ups with a few of these races over there. He's worked pretty hard to try and get us into to work with his connections and get us into some races uh, around the area and a few local events as well. There's a big uh, criterium in his hometown that uh, we're all going to go and do, and there's a few big riders from around Slovenia that, that come across. Apparently, they've got like 10 riders in, in the world tour from, tour from Slovenia, so quite an impressive number for um, for such a small country. So, And uh, Tomas, he loves his country, the, that's the DS, and he, he's really happy to have us over there and sort of show us around. So I'm looking forward to get up, getting over with the rest of the boys and, and sussing it out. Yeah, well, good luck for that. And well, we'll, we'll now segue into going back to Neil, I think, and talking about the Tour de Taiwan, where he was, where he and his team did really well. Okay, thanks, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, so we'll talk to Neil now about um, the Tour de Taiwan, where which is a pretty big race in Asia. I mean, it's it's one where you see a lot of big names turn up, and uh, this year we had uh, Francisco Mancebo turn up. Neil, perhaps that's a name that people will recognise more from the past, perhaps where he's been up there up the top of the GC in, you know, quite a few of the Grand Tours. Yeah, I believe he got fourth one year in the Tour de France in the sort of Lance Armstrong era. So he's certainly a, um, yeah, he was a massive name on the world stage at least a few years ago, and he still goes pretty well. I think he had a bit of a stint in America and cleaned up there. So, yeah, there's very good competition. It's a 2.1, so... Um, yeah, it brings quite a few quite a few good teams, so it's definitely one of the bigger races that uh, we do throughout the year in Asia. 
Yeah, but your boys uh, showed showed them up there um, with Robbie Hucker in the end, winning the final stage and the GC. And Ben O'Connor was he was in the leaders jersey for a while there, wasn't he? And ended up third. Yeah, he um, so Ben got in a breakaway in the first stage, which gave him about uh, a minute on quite a few of the other contenders. And then there was a couple of stages that were sort of you know fairly selective, but you know still had a bunch of say twenty at the finish. So. Uh, uh, after that stage, I think that was stage two, Ben moved into yellow and um, all the GC sort of like the main splitting of GC happened on that final stage. So it was a pretty interesting tour. And yeah, we had no idea Robbie was going to come out on top. He was just sort of, you know, in the pack with a bunch of other people on that, you know, one minute down. And the last stage was absolutely filthy, absolutely just horrendous rain. Visibility was terrible. And the start was actually really difficult and Robbie sort of, he actually attacked on a wet descent using his sort of mountain biker skills. And uh, yeah, he bridged across to that lead move and yeah, stayed away. He had an awesome climb out climb for Mansebo and took the win. Which is, you know, great, obviously for you guys. Was he, was yeah. he giving you any, was he giving you any indication beforehand of how he was feeling? Yeah. Look, Robbie, he's um, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, Robbie's sort of recent history, actually. But, look, he's been feeling really good um, basically ever since he joined our team um, from the start of the year. Like, he hit the ground running at the National Championships, had a fantastic ride there. was, uh, in my eyes, pretty unlucky not to get a start in the Tour Down Under. Um, yeah, so, like, he was still going really good, kept himself motivated. And, uh, yeah, he was going good. He said he was feeling pretty good throughout the Tour. Um, but, look, there was no really decisive stage until that final one. And look, yeah, throughout the stage, he was, he was sort of telling Andrew that he was feeling pretty good. And yeah, it turns out he was feeling really good. Yeah. Well, coming back from Drapak, um, I mean, it's a drop, it's a drop down in level to from pro Conti to continental cycling with you guys, but he must, he must really have carried a lot of motivation out of um, going down and, you know, having realizing, yes, I've got to, you know, really, um, take some results out of, as part of um, Avanti to, you know, justify me, you know, continuing my cycling career and maybe going up to the next level next time around. Yeah, look, Robbie, he actually had quite a few health um, issues when he was on Drapak. So, yeah, he had a couple of good years with him. And then this last year, he was, um, I think he had something like adrenal gland fatigue or something like that, something a little bit, bit obscure. And it basically knocked him out for most of the year. And uh, he was sort of working at that, trying to get sorted for the whole year. And um, when it got to the end of the year, he sort of didn't have any results because he was basically just wiped out for the for the whole season. And then, um, yeah, we were probably pretty fortunate to pick him up then because, yeah, basically as we signed him, he was he was over it. And uh, yeah, results were just about to come. So uh, yeah, it's really good to see someone like Robbie. Uh, get a bit of success because he's had a, he's had a pretty rough trot and he's uh you know he's, he's worked through it and uh, it's great to see sort of yeah hard workers like that sort of uh come out the other side and and get a result it's, it's actually the team's first win in asia so yeah it was pretty big for the team and for robbie personally won stages but never the overall oh. tour speaking of uh coming well coming close to victories uh you yourself managed a third with um AJ, Anthony Giacoppo in second there? Yeah, there was one stage there where I uh, jumped in a, a small break of only three riders. And then, uh, 
yeah, it was a pretty tough finish, pretty hilly, and uh, I was just unlodged in the final. So, oh, I think it was with about 4K to go. Uh, there was a, a Dutch rider from Park Hotel Valkenburg who just unhitched me, and then, yeah, f- coming from the main field, I looked back and saw AJ coming across. So I sat up and waited for him just briefly, uh, gave him a turn, and we actually came into the finish together. Um, but we both went the wrong way in the deviation. And uh, I went a little deeper into the deviation than AJ did and, uh, yeah, managed to hold on for third. I was I was almost mowed down by the peloton there. But, uh, yeah, that was actually a pretty good stage as well. That was We got second and third on that one. So, yeah, until the final stage win and taking GC, that was, um, yeah, that was a bit of a highlight. But, look, it got eclipsed in that final stage with Robbie. Well, don't worry. We, we still remember you here on the, on the podcast. Uh, thanks, JB. Good. <laughs> um, oh, well, well, we'll move on from Taiwan. Congratulations to you and the guys there. Uh, I saw a few of your video, videos up online, actually, um, of you arriving at the airport and, uh, and then a few, a few after, after like one of the stages, I think it was. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to catch more of Neil, I mean, it's possible that some people want to see more of you. So uh, get onto YouTube and follow uh, What's On in the Peloton and you can, yeah, you can see the videos that uh, Neil occasionally puts up. Yeah, look, we did, we did daily sort of, uh, sort of video blogs throughout the tour of Taiwan and we'll probably be continuing that um, throughout most of the year. So yeah, if you follow the, you know, follow the team, there'll be, we'll be sort of plugging it from all different angles. So yeah, if if you like the videos, um, there should be plenty more. Yeah. And well, whilst we're talking about overseas, I mean, there's, there's been other Australians winning stuff overseas. Maybe, I think there was a small race in northern France the uh, the other day um, where Matt Heyman won something. Did you did you hear about that? Heyman. Oh yeah, name rings a bell. Yeah, big bloke. Yeah, he's pretty gangly, but um, yeah, I, I heard a rumor that he did okay. Anyway, no, no, no. Obviously, great win for for Matty over there, and that was possibly one of the best Paris Roubaix I've seen in a very long time. Uh, yeah, watch, watching absolutely. on the couch. Yeah, I couldn't believe what was happening. I mean, you, you kind of go, surely not, surely not. He can't, surely it's not happening. And yeah, and then he throws his arms up at the end, and you're just like, ah. So <laughs> I think I think everyone enjoyed enjoyed that one. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, I didn't watch it live, unfortunately. We just got back from Borbor, so we were uh, we were pretty knackered. We had to uh, watch the replay, and we were just like shouting at the TV, even though it wasn't live. It was. Such an awesome race. Loved it. Yeah, those last 10 or so Ks where they were just all hitting each other. I mean, exor- clearly exhausted, but just one after the other. I think everyone in that group attacked and at least at one stage, and it was just it was just pandemonium in the finish there. That was just, yeah, really. Yeah, that is that is just what racing is all about, isn't it? Just, yeah, just down to that small group hitting each other. That's just, yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's what we try and create on a small scale in Australia. So, I mean, and they do they do do that with a few of the races in the in the NRS. I mean, they tried the Strade Nero um, stage last year of um, King Valley, wasn't it? it? Was yep, yep, King Valley and Tour of the King yeah, Valley, and, and they try and create it with their. I think they call it. I think they even call it the Hell of the North in in one of the South Australian races. So. You get all these imitators trying to recreate that feel, but I mean, I don't think you can recreate something as amazing as Paris Roubaix, and that last race just showed it again. 
No. Um, one race, though, that can be like that, which is a bit of a funny race in the NRS, is the Melbourne to Warrnambool. So, you know, it's got a great reputation because, you know, there are races, and I've seen quite a few of them, um, that have gone like that, you know, really whittled down over that, you know, 275Ks or whatever. Like, that is just... It can be really brutal with the crosswinds as well. So the pay, uh, the pay that type of racing where you've got you know a small bunch left and it's fairly flat and it's just like a race of attrition, everyone attacking each other like that. You do get that sometimes in the Melbourne to Warrnambool, but unfortunately, it's it's very reliant on the weather. So the last couple of editions we've had have just been just not conducive to that sort of racing. So it's ended up in a bunch, but that's a real pity, I reckon. It's so good when the Melbourne to Warrnambool has a bit of crosswinds and then you get that type of racing, which is just, it's awesome. Yeah, I, 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 I'd liken it a bit more to a Milan-San Remo because of the distance and because the weather is really the decisive factor. I mean, it depends on, you know, whether there's a headwind or what the, you know, what the conditions are to split up the bunch a bit more than the actual topography or an obstacle like cobblestones, so. Anyway, um, well, let's move on to some other racing that's been going on overseas. And, yeah, over in, over in America, Loretta Hansen, um, going, a bit, going a bit more um, obscure, but um, Loretta Hansen, she won, a sprint, she won the sprinter's jersey, as she does pretty much all the time when she's racing. She just loves that jersey. I don't know particularly why, but she always wins it and always going for those intermediates. And she also took a sprint um, racing over there for Colavita Bianchi. So... She's she's going great over there. If anyone's wondering how she's how her prog- progress is, and what else do we have? Also for the women in the any any guy Vucht tour, um, OG had a good good time over there with their Dutch rider Annemiek van Vluten taking second in the overall, and Gracie Elvin. She's had a storming uh, storming season so far, and she continued that really good form with her fourth there overall. Um, Neil, I'm, I'm not sure how much you were following the women's scene, but you know, Gracie Gracie's been a, a big big player in Australian racing for quite a while now, and uh, but she looks to have really taken that step up to the next level with um, her performances so far this season. Yeah, look, it's great to see Gracie. Um, I actually saw her race a fair bit more when I was mountain biking, so we were both mountain biking quite a few years ago. But look, she's definitely just fully converted to the road now, and yeah. She's super strong, all-round sort of rider. So, yeah, it's great to see her really making that step. Yeah, and I think I think she'll be one of the few shoe-ins for the Olympic team. I mean, it's going to be a very small squad, either four or five riders, depending on how the qualification races end up assigning places. But I think probably her and Katrin Garfoot would be the would be the main. Riders, I think, would be nailed on at the moment, but who knows? Pretty hilly, the Olympic course, isn't it? Yeah, well, I was thinking mainly for the time trial for Katrin, but um, she can yep. climb as well. I mean, so anyway, um, yeah, that will. And the Flanders, she had a really good one in Flanders as well, didn't she, Gracie? Yeah, yeah, she was just off the just front, in the second group. Front, yeah, yeah. Um, going good over to the... at least get a little bit of uh, footage there in the women's race, but not. Uh, not quite enough to really see all the action playing out. Yeah, she she was. I think it was the Paterberg, but she was finally dropped that final ascent to the Paterberg and just couldn't quite hang on over the, over there, which is you know unfortunate. But uh, 
still a very good performance in in that race. And that should be just about enough of that. And we'll come back and we'll talk a bit about the NRS. Um, they're setting up a technical review and they recently announced um, the names on the working party there. So we'll be back with that. And we're back chatting about the NRS National Road Series Technical Review. And Neil, they've announced the, the, the work names for the working party there. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to ha have a look at it yet. No, I haven't actually, Jamie. Oh, well, I'll be happy to enlighten you then. Um, chairing it, um, we have uh, the Cycling Australia Chairman and CEO, uh, Nicholas Green, uh, Order of Australia Medal. <laughs> I'm just reading. I'm just reading it off the list here, and uh, yeah, and so we've got some big names in coaching there. So and directing. So there's Donna Ray Selinski who does the High Five Women's Team. Uh, Andrew Christie Johnson from Avanti is is in there. Who else we got? Scott Sunderland, obviously key race promoter. Sian uh, Holland, who's a big cycling coach in Canberra and, you know, just across the women's scene, she's very well known. Bridie O'Donnell, uh, world record holder in the hour record for, you know, about a month, but, you know, great, good on her for doing it. And I've heard a little, I've heard a little, a few rumours that she might be going for another one. So, you know, keep an eye on that and she, she could well pop up with another attempt there. Um, and apart from that, we've got like John Tavaro, Peter Tomlinson, Gavin McDonald, and a few names from Cycling Victoria, Cycling Queensland, and Cycling Australia. So, I think I think that's a pretty good group for the most part. There's a lot of names in there who you know are, are very outspoken about their their thoughts on the NRS, um, and it will be interesting to see what comes out of that uh, process. Neil, um, do you have any immediate thoughts on that? Um, no, not a not a hell of a lot, Jamie. Um... Other than it's just a, it's a bit of a pity. It's sort of taking a fair while for things to move. Um, like I know there was talk about this sort of review process ages ago and sort of, you know, it's, this we're almost, well, we're like a third all the way through the year and now we've got a list of names who are going to start the review process. But um, yeah, it seems to be very slow progress. So hopefully they yeah. can get a wriggle on. <laughs> things hopefully <laughs> have got a bit of momentum now and they can sort of take a bit of shape. Yeah, I've been on the record about that in the past. I've wrote a, written a couple of articles um, about that process. Basically, um, it was announced last year in June at the same time as a number of um, NRS races were also announced that they weren't going to be run um, during 2015. And I, I talked to Nick, Nick Green at, the, at, um, at Nationals and I was basically just wondering how the review was going and he said oh no it hasn't started yet to which i was kind of flabbergasted going well i thought you announced this six months ago and <laughs> from there now we've got an announcement of the name so hopefully it's 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 run and done by 2017 we've got some we've got some get some points to take out from it and you know a, a structure that we can build around for the future of, of the nrs so yeah, 2017 is going to be the year where we see the implementation of these of this review, and you know, hopefully, hopefully that's when we start to see some real building going on in the road series. Because at the moment, you know, there's been more races lost this year, and it's it's looking a bit dire. So, you know, I think we all wish the best for the NRS, but we we need to get some get some outcomes from this review. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's a real pity because the NRS, uh, for when I first sort of did an event, I think I did my first event in 2009, it seems like it has been just doing quite well. Um, yeah, building momentum and getting pretty competitive. A lot of teams coming up, heaps of numbers. And there's, there's just, you know, quite a depth of riders there. But look, this last year, um, with all the races dropping out, it's been a bit of a, uh, yeah, not not a very positive sort of sign, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I think there's definitely enough riders out there and there's a lot of other sort of, you know, many teams, a lot of people sort of putting in a fair bit. So hopefully if we can get some, yeah, get this review done, it can uh, start to really charge on ahead. Yeah, well, I've written quite a few articles about um, races being abandoned, so I'm looking forward to getting into the into the actual racing and reporting on you know races happening. So yeah. hopefully that's hopefully that's what I'm doing going forward, and um, not having to dwell on the negative stuff. And we'll continue promoting NRS here. That's what we're doing the podcast for. That's raison d'être, a reason for existence. You know, to Ooh. promote Australian racing. So. So I'll, I'll stay away from, from the French from now on, Neil. I mean, <laughs> well, that'd certainly be good for me, Jamie. I, uh, well, you except for if you're going to say, je suis fatigué. That's about, <laughs> that's about the extent of my French. So, Well, that's, that's me when I get on a bike. So, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we are, we're heading over to the uh, French-speaking part of Belgium, which is, yeah, as I've just demonstrated, a real pity. <laughs> yeah, well, no, exciting for you guys, though. I mean, going over to Europe, I mean, you've done racing in Asia and um, America, obviously, but um, Europe's going to be a new step for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're all looking forward to it massively. We've got a um, pretty lengthy stint over there. So, yeah, no, that's what we everyone's sort of looking forward to at the moment. So, yeah, very much new. I think there's a few guys who have been on the team who have gone over there and, and done stints, but... Yeah, quite a few of us have never got over to Europe. So, yeah, exciting times, particularly after we've had some crackers of races at like Flanders and Paris-Roubaix. We're sort of in that similar region. I think we're in the Ardennes. So, uh, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait, Jamie. And we'll see you flying over the cobbles like Tom Boonen and um, Fabian Cancellara, no, no doubt, quite soon. Yeah, I think we're heading over in... Uh, about the 13th of June, I think we, we go from the tour of Korea over to Belgium there. So, yeah, throughout the rest of June, July and August, we'll be, uh, yeah, hopefully getting some cobbled action. We'll have, to, we'll have to just suss them out anyway and go for some training rides, check out all these sort of famous climbs. It'll be good fun. And what's next on the racing agenda then? Uh, well, after Grafton, we've got just a couple more weeks until, well, we've got the one of the next VRS rounds, the Tour of Southwest, which I've done a couple of times now. That's a really good little race. Uh, and then it's, yeah, Korea. And then this European block, which has got all sorts of races. And I haven't even, I'm not too familiar with the exact schedule over there, but there's there's quite a bit on the menu. So, yeah, a bit of a different year. Well, good luck for you over there. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll say goodbye now from the podcast. Um, Neil, been great to have you on as always. Yep. Pleasure, Jamie. And yeah, it's farewell for me as well. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter um, at Breakdown Pod, um, on Facebook at Breakdown Podcast, and you can even find us on our internet site, which is um, weebly.breakdownpodcast.com. So you can find us there for more information about us. Okay, that's bye from me. And a bye from me too. <laughs> <laughs>